0: You're listening to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry. We're on another episode of Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. We got another guest, Darren Batch Elder. He's a principal owner, asset manager, and lead sponsor of 76 townhome communities in Crowley, Texas. He's a minority general partner, an interest and key principal of 256 multifamily units in Dallas. He's also the principal of a non-recourse loan, 150 unit apartment community, and he's a limited partner in 14 properties with 3,900 multifamily units, personal mentoring students. And he's also spending a lot of his time working in the loan trading space. He's been in the loan trading business for 16 years. He's responsible for trading of excess of four billion dollars in loan sales. He's an achieved CPA status at Price Waterhouse, and he's worked within PepsiCo's domestic and international audit division. He's got a BS in accounting from Rhode Island University. Welcome him to the show today. I'd like to start off with a quote. So most investors blame the investment rather than themselves. In reality, the real problem is the investor, not the investment learn patience when investing, rich dad, poor dad. So I like that quote, man. It's a really good quote, but I want to welcome in my guest, Darren Batch Elder. He's a principal owner, asset manager, lead sponsor in the multifamily space, syndication space. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Terrence. Appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, man. So before we dive into what you're doing and all the amazing things you're doing in the multifamily space and the brand that you're building, tell me a little bit about you, how you got into real estate? What's your story? Because we all have a story on how we got into into this game.
1: Absolutely. So I I jumped around a bit. Um. So I I'm a little older than some of the other folks. I'm 50. I started at a school. I'm an East Coast guy from Connecticut. I went to school, at the University of Rhode Island. Started out as a CPA uh, with Price Waterhouse, and then went to to PepsiCo kind of in both the domestic and international audit group, wanted to get out of accounting and more into a sales capacity. So I, so I moved into software sales, selling uh, large software applications to Fortune 1000 companies. And then after the dot-com kind of uh, busted, I, I transitioned to institutional loan trading And was on a loan trading desk for a large bank, top 20 worldwide bank at the time, AB and Amaro, Dutch bank. And I was responsible for selling large loan portfolios um, between banks and uh, did that in the, in the run up, uh, real estate run up of 2002 to 2006. And then in 2006, I left the company and started my own company in 2007, doing just that. So residential, multifamily. And commercial real estate loans, large portfolios trading uh, between banks. Still have that company. And about three years ago, it was running efficiently and I had some extra time and I'd always wanted to get involved in the real estate space. So I uh, finally buckled down and, and, and went out and bought some real estate.
0: Congrats on that, man. So when you were working with those Fortune 1000 companies, In the loan portfolio things that you were doing, how did you feel like that really gave you a platform to transition into in the real estate and in this space?
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't really know that it was going to lead to this. You know, um, like you said in the beginning, everybody has a story. You know, for all the listeners out there, I think, you know, I think that it doesn't matter if you're a young guy who's deciding to get into real estate right now or you're older, like it's never too late and you always have value to provide. Other parties. So just look at all the experience that you've had up to date and how can you leverage that? So, for me, being on the institutional trading side, I was trading large loan portfolios, residential, multifamily, and commercial real estate loans. So I knew. And then when I started my own company, I was doing the same thing. I really knew the asset class very well. You know, I understood the lingo, I understood how people uh, value multifamily deals, and I liked multifamily deals because it makes sense to me, you know, people have to live somewhere and it provides positive cash flow and you have the benefits of of leverage, you know, both from the loan side, leveraging other people's money and then um, you know, if you're in larger assets, you're leveraging, you know, other companies to actually manage the asset for you.
0: No, that's good, man. And I think, you know, one of the questions I always get when you have single family rentals, you have townhomes, you have student housing, you have multifamily, small to mid-sized, you have commercial, industrial. Like you said, you like multifamily because people always have to have a place to stay. But why did you decide to get into the bigger
1: multifamily projects? Um, I didn't initially. You know, part of it is mindset. Right. So initially getting in. My wife and I bought a duplex, new construction duplex. So signed a contract. It was going to take a year to build. And I I was scared, man. I'm, you know, and I had the funds. I pulled money out of the stock market, but you know, I was older, I had capital, but it's not like going and buying five thousand or ten thousand dollars worth of, of stock. You know, like you know, you still have to put down quite a bit of money. And when you haven't done it before. It could be intimidating, right? So, but once I signed the contract on that deal, you know, I started thinking, I'm like, you know, it's going to take a long time to really grow any wealth, you know, buying duplex, fourplex, eightplex, you know, it's going to take a long time. And I just wanted to go bigger. So I went looking for a way, there's got to be a way to go bigger, you know, and so I didn't know what that was. But I went searching. I started going to the local real estate meetup groups. And, you know, a number of them that I went to at first were more single family fix and flip. And I knew I didn't want to do that. And so then all of a sudden I, I found, I kept looking and I, Ended up on a Saturday afternoon at a free meetup group. There was only like 25 people there and met this um, great couple that just spent a lot of time with me and shared with me that they joined a multifamily mentorship group. And so I just picked their brain and I was like, I'm in. And so I joined that group. I met a ton of people that are in the space that have already done it. You know, I've already bought 100 unit, 200 unit, 300 unit type properties. And I was amazed at first, but then I realized like, these are just people just like you and me, man. They all started with no real estate properties and they they found other people that had done it and they just you know mimicked that process. And so I was like, if they can do it, I can do it.
0: Yeah. That's good. I want to rewind for a sec. And for the listeners out there, because obviously the real estate entrepreneur, the reason I wanted the title of the podcast that because you're in a real estate entrepreneur. I'm a real estate entrepreneur. So whether we're an investor or a broker, or a builder or a developer, most of us, once we get into real estate, we end up dibbling and dabbling. We find our niches, but then we also invest in other things. And so I'm really trying to keep the space open. To let people know, like don't get segmented. Like find your niche and get really good at that niche, but you can always learn more about other industries, other segments, segments of real estate. Even if you never do it and, and participate, you have that extra knowledge and information. So let's talk about multifamily syndication.
1: Hey, if you if you don't mind, I want to add on something what, what you just said, um, because I think it's important, you know, and that real estate, I believe, doesn't have a ceiling. You know, and so many other industries that I was a part of, even when you're in sales, you know, you you know, you've got a commission and you know, you can really push your your income that way. But if you look when you start with the company, you look at who are the top or two or three salespeople and you kind of strive to to reach them, right? But then it's really hard once you get up to that level to continue to just blow it out. You know, you just start over the next year. What have you done for me lately? But with real estate, look, I went from a duplex to a six million dollar deal to a fifteen million dollar deal to a thirty million dollar. And I was talking having lunch with a guy the other day, and I'm like, who says that not today, but who says that, you know, a few years down the road, I can't be involved with these, you know, huge Complexes that are being yeah. built, yeah. and it's all what's in your mind. You know what you believe, and you, what you can conceive. You know you can actually make it happen,
0: for sure. And I think in all of us, especially entrepreneurs, we don't like boundaries. We like just pushing boundaries. We like exploring. We like learning. We like growing. And a lot of times, people think it's all about the money. It's like no, for us, most of us, it's about the game. Right. It's about just learning the game and learning our craft and getting better and better at it.
1: So there's the game, and then there's also impact right? The more money you make and the more deals you're involved in, the more opportunity you have to impact more people.
0: Love it. So for our listeners out there who may be a single family investor, a duplex investor, let's let's kind of walk them through kind of a timeline or almost like creating a glossary for them. So obviously multifamily, when you say multifamily, what do you consider multifamily? Just a quick 30 second Definition. Well,
1: I mean, the definition of multifamily from the lender side is you know single family is one to four units and multifamily is five units or greater. But I would say I play in the, the large scale multifamily, which I would define as 60 units or greater. That's good. And then
0: now that we're talking multifamily... I think the biggest thing that scares people is syndication and sponsors and raising capital. All those words are thrown around and it makes people withdraw because they're like, I don't want I don't want to do that. So walk me through what is what is syndication.
1: Yeah. I, I know I mean, but that's, that's a great listen, question. I I think it's first of all, I mean, like until I got involved in the multifamily mentorship group, I didn't even know you could do it. Right. And I was around a lot of wealthy people and I never had anybody offer me the chance to invest in in a syndication deal at private placement. But to answer your question, I think syndication is an intimidating word that can scare people off. All it is, is a group of people coming together to buy an asset that they couldn't buy on their own. So they're just pooling their funds to buy a larger asset.
0: Yep. So if you could walk me through, you and I were going to go do a deal, just a, a very basic scenario for our listeners and try to give them that foundation of okay we're going to do our first apartment complex it's 100 units or 60 units whatever walk me through kind of a to z like a birds eye view of what that looks like if you and i were going to you know sponsor that deal or syndicate that deal what would that look like
1: so first i would say to the listeners that if you do want to get into the large scale multifamily space it's very competitive today and so i would say i I could be wrong on this, but this is my personal opinion and this is my observation, is that you really have to, if you're going after your first deal, you have to partner with somebody that has experience if you want the larger deal. Because the broker and the seller will not pick you as the buyer if you don't have, you don't have somebody a track on your team that has experience. Yeah, you don't have a track record. Right. You don't have a track record because, you know, in in single family, you know, somebody's going to pay your price, you know, and your your realtor says, yeah, they can, you know, they got a qualification letter for the loan. You're like, all right, let's go. But it doesn't work that that in the multifamily space. Everybody enters in letters of intent. So maybe there's, you know, a six week marketing period where the broker markets the deal. You go and view the property. um, You're doing the underwriting. You determine that, okay, hey, based on all the numbers, I can offer this price. Okay. At that point, you submit a letter of intent and the broker takes the those, and maybe there's 15 offers. They then come back and say, okay, well, hey, we're going to take the top five or six and we're going to put them in the best and final. Okay. And all that means is they narrow out, you know, to five or six people, groups, and then you got to sharpen your pencil and, you know, increase your price. So then from there, they're going to take probably the top. Three are going to be within fifty thousand or a hundred thousand of each other, and they're going to go to the, the broker. Is going to sit down with the seller behind closed doors and say, "Who should we go with?" Mm-hmm. And the broker is not going to pick somebody that doesn't have a track record because they want the deal to close. If the deal doesn't close, they don't get their commission. On top of that, they want to do right by their their seller, and they don't want to get egg on their face. So you need experience. So here's the here's the deal. You end up. Getting selected, okay? They come back and say, "All right, Terrence, you you got the deal, okay?" Um, say it's February first. From there, you probably have a week or two to negotiate the contract between you and the seller. Uh, once you sign the contract, typically there's going to be hard money day one. So you, in the contract, you've agreed that you're going to put a non-refundable money up. So for any reason, if the deal falls apart and you decide to back out you lose that upfront money. And it, that money could be sizable. And week or two to sign the contract, once the contract's signed, you wire within 24 hours the hard money, and then 60 days to close. And a lot of times there may be one or two 15-day extensions uh, built into the contract. So, all right, say February 15th, you're you know in contract. That March, April 15th, you're trying to shoot to close. Okay. In that 60 days, a lot of things are happening. You complete the, the application for the loan. So you, whoever you're going to do the loan through is starting to review everything for the loan proceeds. You hire an appraiser. You're going to do due diligence. So you hire a company to come out and inspect the property to make sure there's no substantial you know, issues with the, the property that you, you weren't aware of. And then you start putting together an investment deck, a, a business plan and how you're going to present it to investors. So maybe two weeks in, you have what's called a webinar for, for investors, and you invite investors that you have existing relationships with to log on to that webinar. And then you discuss, look, we're under contract on this property. Here's our business plan. You know, We plan on painting the property, putting up new fencing. As the units turn, we're going to upgrade the units you know, we're going to charge an extra hundred dollars for the upgraded unit and that's going to return us X. And then here's a, here's the forecasted returns to you as the investor. And then at the end, you know, hey, if you have interest in investing, you know, complete these documents and send them a link with, with the documents. And then, uh, you know, hopefully close within 60 days. Love it, man. When you have that webinar, which I think
0: is great, because that's a big difference from I'm just going to meet my brother-in-law out there and let him look at a deal like the sophistication goes to the next level when you're doing these bigger multifamily deals versus, hey, Darren, man, I'm buying a duplex. I need you you know, to invest in it like that's a different conversation. Do you have them sign an NDA? Um, or no. you just you have them get on the webinar and kind of pitch it? Correct yeah, the other question people are going to ask me is, do you send out like an offering memorandum, some type of packet to the investor, or you
1: go over it all on the webinar? So it goes in in phases. So you know part of the reason you you mentioned the word sophistication, you know, it's maybe partly that, but it's also efficiency, right? So yeah. you know it, when these deals are larger, you're having to have mo- many more people as part of the investment. and so speaking to everybody at once saves a lot of time you wow, know versus good. setting up you know fifty or a hundred you know different phone calls, so the initial offer is is hey, just register for the webinar. there's no n d a when the webinar starts, this is a forecast you know you, you need to you know there's a disclaimer in the beginning. this is a forecast you you know you're gonna have to do your own due diligence on it, that sort of thing um just to. You know cut groups, SEC guidelines. All the attorneys are going to have you include something like that in the beginning of the, mm-hmm. of the presentation. But the rest of it is basically, you know, who are the sponsors? Okay, who who's the team that is going to be managing this deal? What's the business plan? What's the forecasted returns? Where's the property? Why do you think that you know the area is a good place? Why do you think the property is a good property? And then from there, you know, if you're interested you know, we'll provide you a link with the, the documents that you can sign up to invest, or you could set up a follow-up call to, you know, ask any follow-up questions you have.
0: No, that's great. You tapped into something that once again, I always tell people, if you are just a multifamily investor or just an analyst, you know, cause at the end of the day, no matter what we do, you got to be able to sell. So even though you might've tied up a great project, if you don't have a great sales pitch, Then no one's really going to listen, right? Now we know all really good deals find capital. So if the deal is great, you'll find the money. But like you said, being able to get in front of these people and really pitch the vision: here's the team, Darren and I are going to do this. Here's the management team. Here's the financial structure we got set up. Here's your forecast of your return. You're really selling these investors on why they should give you their money.
1: I agree, but I probably would put a little different slant on it um, because I don't really look at it as so much a sales pitch, or I, you know, we're trying to. To get investors' money. Oh yeah. We're not trying to coerce. We're anybody. presenting an opportunity that, yeah. you know, can provide the investors with significantly better returns than what they're they're doing with their money now. Yeah, and good. and so, you know, my wife on the first syndication deal, she was like, Hey, Darren, don't go to our personal network on this first deal. And I'm like, why? She's like, Well, what if the deal goes bad? And I'm like, I'm just not wired that way. Like, look, mm-hmm. we're putting in a hundred grand. I just look at things like, what do I need to do to make it work? And yeah. why would I only want to bring people in that I've met through the multifamily you know network and not present the opportunity to friends and family. Now, if they don't understand it or that, you know it makes them uneasy or they don't want to invest, no problem. you know, we just move on to the next person. But I'm like, I want to help grow their wealth, you know? Mm. that's. That's the exciting part about being a syndicator in my eyes is that, you know, my other business, the loan trading business, all the profit comes to myself and my my family. But mm-hmm. when these syndication deals, you have partners, you know, on the general partner side, and you have a lot of limited partners that invest in the deal, and you're helping grow the wealth of all those limited partners. And yep. so you're benefiting the families of all these limited partners and you know they could use that those funds you know when when there's an exit and you know they receive their return they could use those funds for whatever they want you know it could be a college education, a new car or great vacations or just you know for retirement savings but or to give to charity you know so that's what gets me charged up is let's me take my business experience. And help me serve others by helping grow their wealth. And then they're responsible for how they spend it.
0: Yeah. No, that's good, man. And I think we have the same heart in that. So that makes sense. And that's a better way of saying it. Like you said, I'm not selling anybody anything. I'm I'm presenting an opportunity to you that's gonna benefit you. It's gonna benefit me, but it's also gonna benefit you.
1: Absolutely. It's a huge, huge win-win. And I think that that's where the fear comes in for people that are thinking about syndication they get scared because they think, oh man, I don't, I'm, I don't want to go ask for money. So ask for money, right. Is different than you want to help make your mother or your brother or your aunt, uncle, or your friend, you want to help them make more money. Yeah. And you have a vehicle to do that. Yeah. And
0: you're helping them do most of the time, something they either don't have the time to do or the, you know, the information to try to put this together themselves. Absolutely. So when you talk about a team, right? Like, what kind of team do you need to have in place when you're trying to try to take down your first multifamily syndicate? Yeah, that's a,
1: that's a good question. So when you talk to multifamily people, they over and over and over and over again multifamily is a team sport. It's a team sport. It totally is. I mean, there's so many different parties that are involved to make a deal happen. So first of all, I talked about it before is you really need to partner with somebody that has experience. So that's the first thing is who you're partnering with on the general partnership side. So would they be like your GP, your general partner? Correct. Okay. And then um, you know, if it's a larger property, are you going to use third-party property management? And so that's kind of where i wanted to focus because in that 60 unit or greater you can afford a full-time leasing person on on the property and a full-time maintenance person on the property those employees are actually employees of a property management company and they're responsible for running the day to day you oversee them as an asset manager but they you know i don't get any calls you know for people are also worried you know like i don't want to do leases i don't want to get calls for broken toilets I don't get any of those calls. The property management company manages all of that. So a property management company is a key team member because when you present to all the investors, they're like, hey, Darren, man, I, I like you. I know you've been successful in other areas and in other industries, but this is your first deal. Like, why should I invest my heart earned money? Well, then you start talking about your team members. Well, look, we're going to be using this property management company. And they Manage like fifteen, twenty thousand units in this market. They know this market, right? Then, hey, the attorneys. Well, we're hiring specialists in the syndication space. That's all they do is is focus on syndicated deals, you know, that, or that's a huge part of their business. And then, all right, well, what about structural issues? Well, we're going to hire this company and. That's all they do is go out and look at multifamily and commercial properties, look for all different aspects of the inspection. They're going to they're going to scope the the uh, sewer lines, they're going to look for foundation issues, they're going to get on the roofs, they're going to look at electrical issues, and then they're going to come back to you and and report back to you. And then you're going to look and say, "All right, do I have enough money, you know, built in for the budget to repair those items or not?" So when you start building out the team and then lender Okay. Who am I what kind of loan am I gonna get on the on the property? You know, Fannie and Freddie, you do non-recourse loans and they're they're probably the largest in the large scale multifamily, you know, but people will use bridge lenders or banks and that's another kind of comfort zone because they have they do this day in and day out. And if you look at the deal and you're like, Well, I think I should be able to get a, you know, loan to value of seventy-five percent on this from one of the agencies, and they come back and they approve that loan at seventy five or seventy six or seventy seven percent. That gives you a huge amount of comfort because they have data, you know, all over the country on these types of deals. And if they're willing to loan on it, then, you know, they have a lot of comfort that the property will perform.
0: Yeah, that's good, bro. So we talked earlier, sponsorship versus syndication. Whether you're the sponsor or you're syndicating, it's really a it's just a word that's used both ways,
1: correct? Yeah, it's like I could be called a syndicator, I could be called a sponsor, I could be called a general partner. You know, yep. they're all kind of interchanged. Yeah, and in the structure, anybody who
0: invests in a project, let's walk through that. So like you said earlier, once we hold it, because a lot of times you see the internal rate of returns projected to be 16 to 18 percent. It's a, you know... 2X multiple, and it's a five-year hold. Walk me through those terms, because that's another question people ask me. Terrence, how do I even read all this, right? Like, And I always tell them, first off, slow down. If you don't understand those basics, then you might not put your money in yet. Right. But walk me through that. Just like, now that I'm in the deal, I've invested in the project, do I get any ownership, or am I just a limited partner that gets a dividend every quarter, every year? Like, What does that look like for an investor if I'm going to invest in one of Darren's projects?
1: Sure. So um, the way the deal is structured is that a, a newly created LLC will be created, okay? A single entity LLC. So you create an, obviously, a new entity for every purchase. For every purchase, you, you. I mean, they, you don't have to do that, but that's predominantly the way it's, it's handled. And that's the way the lenders want it handled for the most part as well. So you form a new LLC, okay? And then- Both the limited partners and the general partners are investing and they're getting an ownership share in that LLC. Okay. That LLC goes and purchases the asset. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have an ownership share in the LLC. The LLC owns the asset. Yep. So now, in terms of what you were talking about before, in terms of like returns and that sort of thing, you know, it's over the last number of years, the, market has gotten more and more and more competitive. And so as it gets more competitive, the returns to investors actually goes down. It gets yeah. you know, people are willing to pay a higher price for the asset. And so returns go down. So where we're at now, where most deals I see are kind of in that 1.7 to 1.8 multiple. And all that means is, okay, if somebody invested a hundred grand, you know, that that over the life of the the asset uh, over the life of owning the asset you know at the end you will have keep been given your 100,000 back plus another 70 to 80,000 okay and that's a forecasted return it's not you know it's not a guarantee and it's typically made up of two components a cash on cash component and then a back end capital gain at the, at when the property is sold so you know each deal is structured differently some deals have a pref where you you know you're getting paid before any of the general partners get paid. You get uh, paid a, a pref percentage. Other deals are are just a straight split between the general partners and the limited partners. But predominantly, what happens is you know somewhere between seven and eight percent the investor is going to be paid distributions. The timing of that could be you know I've seen some deals where they start paying month one. You know so. If seven or eight percent divide by twelve and you're getting that payment every month for other deals will delay the initial distribution, say, okay, hey, we're not gonna pay out the first distribution for six months, or we're not gonna pay out the first distribution for three months, and then we're gonna pay it quarterly after thereafter. And part of the reason for that is they the sponsors want to start implementing the business plan first, make sure that you know everything's kind of going on track. Before they start paying out distributions, but it's it's on a deal by deal basis, and that's something that you know you as the investor, if it's not brought up in the presentation, you can surely ask the sponsor. You know, hey, what's the timing on this, and and what's the uh, expectation for distributions?
0: Man, that's great, bro! Great wisdom. So, if you could go back, obviously, in your career as a multifamily sponsor, investor, syndicator. What's one thing you wish you would have known that you know now that you wish you would have known then before you started?
1: One, I would have started a lot earlier, (laughs) a lot earlier. You know, I grew up with the, uh, I guess, the old school mentality of like, go to school, get good grades, go work for a good company, climb the corporate ladder, you know, put 10, 20% aside in the stock market, and then it'll just grow to this huge nest egg. And my nest egg did grow, but like, it nowhere near what I thought it would have over over a long span of time. And then when I got involved with, you know, this multifamily mentorship group and met these people that were in this real estate space, man, I just saw the wealth building opportunity. It, it's just crazy. I mean, it really is. I mean, I remember meeting with one guy, he's like, look, Darren, because I want to know what is this real? Are people really making money? You know? And my net worth was five hundred thousand, now it's five million. I'm yeah. like, you know, you have to, you have to save a lot of money, squirreling it away 10, 20% a year to make that kind of leap. You know, it's very, 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 very difficult to do. And, you know, part of the reason for that is that real estate, what, and I, again, I wish I had gotten involved sooner, but there's tremendous leverage. Okay. Opportunities and there's tremendous tax efficiency. Yeah, And, you know, taxes, you know, when people talk to me about taxes, I was always like, ah, you know, I kind of just, I didn't educate myself on it, but that's like your biggest expense, you know, 35, 40% of your income goes to taxes. Well, if you could find legal ways to reduce that tax bill, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, And, you know, until I got involved with other people that told me that, I look back at some of my old tax returns and I'm like, holy cow, I wrote huge checks to the government. And now instead, I'm investing where the government wants me to. Okay, It's part of the tax law that they want you to invest in workforce housing. And because of that, there's tax benefits to that. In return, we're helping grow the wealth of other investors. We're also improving properties for all the tenants. So they have a nicer place to live and an affordable place to live.
0: No, I love it, man. That's a lot of wisdom. And so to finish that scenario as an investor, do you guys hold for five years? Obviously, there's a target hold is what you hear. Five years, seven year. But I've also seen guys, I mean, Robert Kiyosaki's group does this a lot. Well, they'll hold for five and they'll refi, get the investors back whole, and then they'll keep the project. Right. So. What's your thoughts on selling and obviously divesting it or versus refying it and holding it in your portfolio?
1: So, I think, first of all, most deals that I've seen come through my email box have been structured with a five year hold, but it's a business plan, it's a forecast. The reality of it is it could be sooner or it could be later. So, you know, I've seen a lot of deals where people have told me they were invested in that turned in two, three years, you know, and other deals I've heard where they got to year four and the economy went into a, you know, a downturn and they didn't want to sell in in the downturn. So they had to wait till year six or seven to sell. So you basically are taking what the market gives you, right? So the sponsors, the general partners, you know, their responsibility, you know, each year is to look at, okay, where are we in the, in the market cycle? You know, where are we in terms of valuation? You know, is there an opportunity to do either a cash out refi, like you you were talking about, or a sale, and which one is more beneficial to you know all of the investors? And so, you know, there's pros and cons to both. You know, the great part about what you talked about is, yeah, if you can refi all of the investor money out. You got all your money back, and now you you still have that ownership percentage in that deal, and it continues to cash flow. Well, that's when they talk about you have infinite returns because you have no money left in the deal. Yep. I talked to one syndicator. He had he had one deal where they had refied two or three times and had provided back like four hundred percent of the original capital, and they still own the deal. Wow. That. Is phenomenal now to, in today's market. I don't hear many of those deals happening because it's so competitive that you know the returns have, have kind of come down. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's amazing, yeah, absolutely amazing. And when you do a cash out refi, you get that that money back. That's a non taxable event, tax free. It's tax free.
0: Yep, that's good. So, what do you see? Um, in the next 12 to 24 months what do you see as the number one kind of opportunity in your space is it value add is it new construction it's newer and better locations even though the cap rate may be you know compressed a little bit what do you kind of see in the in, in the multifamily space or syndication space is the new opportunity
1: in general i see i talk to a lot of syndicators and in general i'm seeing a trend of syndicators trying to trade up into better assets mm mm-hmm. And when I say better, you know, those classifications A, B, C. A lot of people in the last, you know, whatever, five years have, have focused on the B, C properties. 1960s, 70s would kind of be construction, would kind of be the Cs. 1980s, you know, maybe beginning of 90s be the Bs. And then A properties you were know, built in the 2000s. And so before it was kind of looked at like, well, A's, the returns on A's, are really low, and you really can provide more value in that BC category. Okay. And so that's where a lot of investment dollars went, and kind of the institutional players were playing in the A space. Now I'm seeing more syndicators trying to trade up into the B plus A assets. And, you know, what partly I think, you know, COVID, I think partly has to do with that is. When I talked to a lot of syndicators before COVID happened, you know, there was a lot of talk that, hey, we're we're near the end of the real estate cycle. There's gonna be a recession here at some point. And so I would ask, well, what do you think is gonna happen? Right. And the consensus that I had heard was, and it, it made sense to me, was look, you go into a downturn, everybody's gonna be trying to save money. So the bottom twenty percent better in A properties are gonna try to save a little money and they're gonna You know, go rent in a B property. The bottom 20% B properties are going to, you know, try to save a little money and go and rent in C properties. But what happened with COVID was, you know, hospitality, retail, like the lower end workers really were impacted much more so than other workers. So the tenants in the C properties are struggling more than in the A's and B's. Mm. And the tenants in the C properties, tend to not have as much savings, right? So they are working month to month and all of a sudden now their hours get cut by a half or they lose their job. And all of a sudden now they're, they're delinquent, right? Where in the A properties, the tenants, all of a sudden now they're working from their apartment, you know, they still have their job, you know, but they're working from their apartment. They're not commuting in anymore um, or they're, they're doing it a few days a week. And they also have savings. If they do lose a position, they have savings that they can cover the rent for a few months while they're looking for another job. So for that reason, I think that more more syndicators are looking to kind of trade up. No, that's good. So
0: what's one real estate concept? Because I always ask my guests to try to bring a book and then obviously bring one concept in real estate that they can dive into a little further. What's one real estate concept that you want to leave the listeners with?
1: A huge huge impact if, if you're not aware of it is bonus depreciation. It's just a massive uh, tax benefit. And some people are able to take advantage of it, and some people are not able to take it as much advantage of it. So um, there's a definition. You could Google the definition for full-time real estate professional, and that could be a full-time investor. It could be you know a realtor, but there's a legal definition for full time real estate professionals. well, if you're a full time real estate professional, then you're able to take a lot more depreciation loss and not only can you take it, but say your spouse is a w two income right You could take the depreciation loss on your investment and cover some of the income from your your spouse. That is massive so i'll give you an example one guy. A friend of mine who invested in, in my first syndication deal, and he invested 100000 I asked him, I said, you know, hey, were you able to take advantage of the, of the tax loss? And we bought the property. It closed on December 21st, 2018. So we only owned it for 10 days in that, that year. But we were able to, when the K-1s came out, if somebody invested at 100000 they showed a $55,000 loss on their wow. K-1. Due to depreciation. So I asked him, you know, were you able to take advantage of that? And he's like, Damn, man, yeah. I had all this other passive income from some other real estate properties I own. And, you know, I thought I was going to get a small little refund check back. And I ended up getting like $20,000 more refund because of that tax loss. Now, when you sell the property, you know, five years down the road, there's something called Depreciation recapture. And so some of that, you know, depreciation that you took up front will be, you know, recaptured and, and taxed at that point. But you get to defer it for, you know, five years or whenever, however long you own the property. And um, it's just a, a massive, massive opportunity for people. Wow, that's good, bro. So what technology are you seeing coming
0: into the space? I know there's been a lot of fintech stuff going on, there's been a lot of, they call it prop tech. What technology are you using currently and what do you kind of see that doing to, to the space of syndication?
1: Yeah. So, um, so one tool is, um, these online portals. Okay. You know, when I did my first syndication deal, it, it's different than if you haven't done a syndication deal, it's different than buying stock. You know, you, you actually have to sign a bunch of, you know, like four different documents. So when I did it, I didn't use a portal. And I had to have each investor sign all these documents, scan it back into their computer, email it to me, and you know, then I had to sign it, scan it, send it back. It was kind of a hassle paperwork-wise.
0: Yeah, it wasn't efficient.
1: Yeah, it was not efficient at all. So now there's these online portals that a lot of syndicators are using. And you point the investor to the online portal, they register. And then all the documents are right there for them. And then they could sign them online so they don't have to print them off. They could sign them online. It's much quicker, much more efficient and, uh, and much more timely. That's good. So would you tell the listeners just to go Google online syndication
0: portals or do you have a couple of names you can drop for them so they can go do their own research? Any like third party companies that are out there?
1: Right now, I'm I'm a general partner, and I'm not the lead sponsor, but I'm part of the general partnership team, and we're using a, a program called Syndication Pro, and, okay. and and I like that one. So you could check that one out. There's, there's a bunch of other ones um, out there, too. No, that's good. Well, I've got a couple more thoughts I want
0: to run by you. So how's your team structure now? Now that you've had so much growth, I think you're at almost 4,000
1: units, right? I am, and that's a combination, though, of... You know, passive I invested passively in a lot of other deals, you know, where I was not the lead sponsor and then I'm, you know, a general partner in in three deals. So it's a combination of all all of those, the four thousand.
0: Still is amazing number though. I mean four thousand units, still a lot of a lot of real estate. So how's your team structured today? Like with the deals that you have
1: that's a good question. I think that, you know, we didn't talk about it, but one of the things that people kind of gravitate towards you know real estate investing is they want financial freedom and they want time freedom and they want you know freedom to do what they want and you know buy what they want and work when they want and all those things and passive, and look passive income yes passive income so there is the ability to do that but you know the more active you are and the, you know that there's 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 still work involved you know there's a hustle factor a persistence factor there's rejection and you, you, know, you just have to kind of pick yourself up. But I think that each person can think about you know, what's important in their life and where do they want to focus? Because I've seen different syndicators do it differently. Some people really want to scale huge. And so they start hiring employees. Okay. They want, I'm going to hire employees. We're going to get all these deals coming in from all these brokers and we're going to have all these analysts that are going to be reviewing those deals and you know crunching the numbers and then they'll come back to us as the you know the owners of the company and we'll review only the best deals then when we get the deals we need people to manage the property management companies so we're going to have asset managers and we're going to hire employees so some people want to build a large company with lots of employees okay so that's one way to go other times you can Look at okay. Well, there's different facets of putting a deal together, and do I like one of those facets more than others? And then maybe you could just focus in in that area. You know, so for me, doing the syndication deal, it's like finding the deal, getting the deal closed, raising the capital, then afterwards managing the deal, all the administrative stuff associated with that, getting out the K ones at the end of the year, and do I want to do all that? And I'm like, what do I like? And I'm like, well, I really like getting the word out. I really like talking to investors. I really like introducing the opportunity to more people. So I could decide to build a large company and do all these different, things, or I could focus in that one area. So I'm choosing to focus in that area. Um, so that's why I started a podcast. I wasn't on social media until three years ago. And I'm uh, you know, work, working on that as an old timer. My kids laugh at me. And I'm trying to get the word out and let more people know that they can do this because it's kind of like a hidden secret until you get into this space. And I want to, for me, you know, my, my daughter, my son's a sophomore in college. My daughter is a senior in high school. She'll be going to college next year. And when I think about like, my ideal life, I want flexibility of time and be able to travel with my wife. So I don't That's really want to build a company- that has a ton of employees. So I'm trying to partner with people that I know, like, and trust that have those team members in place. And then I'll be a kind of an add-on component.
0: Love it. Yeah.
1: So that led right into your big why. I mean, that's your big why, your kids,
0: your wife, spending time with her. That's good.
1: And serving others. I, I, I really believe that I'm a Christian. I go to church and like in Church, they're always talking about, you know, serving others. And over the years and years and years, I'm like, I just don't really have like a big heart for going and raking leaves and painting somebody's house, you know, where some people love that. Right. Well, what's got me excited is this is a way for me to serve others. This is a way, even when we hit the numbers we want to hit, we could continue to do deals so we can help. Grow the wealth for other people and not only help grow the wealth, but also teach other people how to do it. Yeah, love it. We all have our ministries,
0: right? Especially as believers. And a lot of times I see believers that are doing different things and they feel like they're not doing enough. And it's like, just because you're not on the stage preaching doesn't mean you're not making an impact. Right. So, depends congr- exactly. on what you're doing. I mean, that's how I found you. And you encouraged me with your post and we connected and your son's coming to AM. So, that was, I'm just, grateful for the friendship.
1: Absolutely. Right back at you.
0: Yes, sir. So you recommended a book. I always have my guests recommend a a book and you picked Tool of Titans by Tim Ferriss. What's your quick 30 second
1: rundown on that? I I was recommended this book. I bought it. It was sitting on the corner of my desk for a long time. It's actually kind of an intimidating book when you you Mm -hmm. have it on your desk. It's a hardcover. It's a thick book. It's thick. It's like six or seven hundred pages. I'm like, oh man. And I'm like, when do I want to open that thing? You know. Finally, one day, I I just read the like the forward or whatever. And and Tim, if you if the listeners don't know, Tim Ferriss is one of the top podcasters out there, and he also has you know a couple of New York Times bestseller books. This is one of them. He has another one called The Four Hour Workweek. But so I finally read the forward, and he says in it, look, you don't have to read this cover to cover like you can hop around. Mm-hmm. And then when I looked at how it was structured, it was broken out into three different segments like a health segment, wealth, and then like a I don't know, maybe a mindset or something. I can't remember what the third one was. And so when I would go in my office in the morning, I'd get have my cup of coffee, I open up, and I would pick one story from each of those components. And basically what the book is is he took all of his podcast episodes and he took the best of them and just summarized them in like two or three pages like so it might may have been a 2 hour episode and he summarized like in two or three pages and i would read it and i felt like i was with that person with that guest and i'm getting into their mind and he had some incredible guests on so i would tell my wife i can't wait to see who i'm going to meet tomorrow morning you know and then i would i would read it and i'd be like holy cow that's such a good idea how can i implement that in my my world you know and so it's just a great way to leverage the experience and knowledge of a lot of other people not necessarily okay. all real estate related it's it's all different people is there
0: something you wanted to cover that we didn't get into today is there something that you wanted to talk about as we get ready to close is there any thoughts
1: no i just want to encourage the listeners um i think there's so many people out there that are in jobs that they don't enjoy and that they Feel stuck. And I remember that feeling and it absolutely is a terrible feeling. And so I would encourage you to start planning to figure out a way to take a chance, take a risk. And I I know that I've encouraged some people to start their own company and I don't have one person that's come back to me and said, Darren, I wish I never did that. Now some of the initial ideas that people like went off to do did not succeed. It what they initially went out to do failed, but then as they were going down that path another idea opened and they pivoted and they made that a success. They never would have made that a success had they not taken the initial step. So whether it's, you know, investing You know, in a syndication deal or buying a duplex or starting your own company. You know what, man? Life is too short. And the big man upstairs, he's got your back, man. He's got your back. And he wants you to do big things so you can impact many people. So go for it. Man,
0: that's awesome, man. That's a great close. And it's hard to come behind that. (laughs) But no, great close. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Obviously, I'm here in College Station. If you need anything on this end, I'm here for you. And hopefully one day you and I can do a syndication deal together.
1: That, that'd be fantastic. And next time I'm down in, in College Station, I'll have to look you up.
0: Yeah. So one other thing, can you leave how people can find you? Is it a website? Is it a, a number? Is it a Instagram? Whatever. How, how can people find you, reach you if you have any eBooks out there or anything like that, Did you, any resources that you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, that'd be, that's great. Um, so the best way is probably to go to my website. It's darrenbatchelder.com. And that's spelled D A R I N B A T C H E L D E R.com. You know, you can, I do have free resources on there and also have a podcast and some other information on there. And I'm also on social media. So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram more than, than the others, but I'm on all, all, the, all the major platforms. Sweet. And what's the name of that podcast? Could you put that out there to the podcast? Sure. It's very original name. Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, thank you again, brother. Hopefully this gets some um, traffic to the website and to the podcast. And as I you know, keep doing things, I'll, I'll make sure we stay connected.
1: Awesome. Hey, I appreciate you having me on the show. I, I wish you the best and uh, much success, my friend. Yes, sir. God bless, brother. All right. Right back at you.
0: Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review, as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to TerrenceMurphy.com.